Um, good evening, everyone. I have a quick announcement, uh, and then we'll dive into the word. Um, so if you are new here, if you weren't here earlier during announcements, um, this is our last week in this beautiful building. Um, it has been an absolute gift from God. We are so grateful for it. Um, but we are going to be moving into a new space, which is amazing. Woohoo! Uh, we are very excited about it. Um, it is just a couple minutes from here, kind of down by the camp and the lab. Um, it literally is right next to the camp. But um, this is the new address. You can take a picture of that. Uh, 2968 Randall Avenue, Unit E. Uh, why we're making the announcement now is basically one of the... This is the parking situation. You can also take a picture of this. We have a whole tab on our website, though, so you can go and look at it. There is almost no parking directly in front of it. It's one of those little warehouse spaces. If you've been down by Whip or Gunwale, you know what I'm talking about. And so for next Sunday and all the Sundays on, um, we have amazing friends who have uh, the picture to your right? Um, you can see that little, there's a lot there that we're parking at. There's also one road over Century Place. Is that what it is? Anyway, Century there. That's almost always deserted. So it's just a quick walk over. That's where we're encouraging you to park. If you are elderly or you have children or for any reason you need to be closer to the facility, um, there will be guys, uh, guys and girls there um, in bright yellowy green vests that we thought were really cool uh, that you can ask about parking that is closer to the main entrance. Sound good? So all of this is on the website. Um, Ty has made us look really fancy and put all of this information there for you. But we will be there next Sunday, four o'clock. We're very excited about it. Um, we're very excited to show some love as well to the businesses around so that they realize they do indeed want us there. So come ready to eat and hang afterwards at some of the many wonderful establishments in the neighborhood. Sound good? Okay. Open your Bibles with me to Habakkuk, Habakkuk. Any, anyone want to call it definite on uh, the way you say that, that name? No? Well, um, I am from two places that have contradictory uh, <laughs> versions. So if I fluctuate between the two, that's why. Um, I, I do know what book it is in the Bible. Um, it's just pronounced differently. Okay, we have been in this minor prophet for a couple weeks now and exploring the text itself and then on the kind of second week, so one week on the text, the next week on kind of a spe specific theme presented. Now, this is what it's looked like. So week one, Habakkuk, Habakkuk one, the word of the Lord. The, the, word, uh, the book begins with, this is an oracle the prophet received. Um, the kind of adjacent, adjacent, parallel uh, narrative that we looked at the following week, Tyler led us through, well, what is the word of the Lord? What is scripture? How do we read it? How do we process it? If you uh, didn't listen to that, I was not, I actually had um, COVID that week. So I had to listen to it at home, but it was, uh, as many of us did, I think, um, it was outstanding on the ways we read scripture um, and how to engage with the Bible. Honestly, please go and listen back to it. It was super helpful for me. Um, then we looked at the prophet's wrestle. So something that is fascinating about this little three-chapter book is that he's known to be the prophet who questioned God. 
He asked tough questions, as we will see in a little bit. How, why, when. And the kind of adjoining, or whatever we're calling it, the parallel week, we talked about the nature of prayer. And we had three amazing people from the community get up and share about their personal journey in prayer, their story in regards to seeing God move in that way. Then we looked at the prophet's God. Is God made in our image or is he uh, made in his own? Do we allow him to be who he is? And that is where we left things two weeks ago. This evening, we are going to look at the prophet himself, or more accurately, what it means to be a people like the prophet. Now, in between New Year's and I really do think half of the community uh, in January had Omicron, myself included. It was like wildfire. Um, and then the Super Bowl last week, I know it's been a little bit challenging to kind of really feel the arc of this narrative. Uh, and so what I wanted to do is I've pulled together kind of a few key moments from chapter one and chapter two to help us reestablish the conversation, what's happening right here, between the prophet and God himself. Now I'm gonna use the message translation just for this little bit um, because I think it just illuminates a very heated prayer and response um, between Habakkuk and God. So here we go. Um, I'm gonna jump through so you can just listen if you wanna close your eyes and kind of imagine the stage is set. You have the prophet sort of standing really shouting at God, and then God responding to him. Chapter one, verse one, God, how long do I have to cry out for help before you listen? How many times do I have to yell help, murder, police before you come to the rescue? Why do you force me to look at evil, to stare at trouble in the face day after day after day? Anarchy and violence break out, quarrels and fights are all over the place. Law and order has fallen to pieces. Justice is a joke. God replies, look, look at this godless nation. Look long and hard and brace yourself for a shock. Something is about to take place that you are going to find hard to believe that you Oh, prophet, are not going to like. I am about to raise up the Babylonians to punish you. Wait, what? Habakkuk's response, verse 12, holy God, are, 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 are we going to die? You, you can't be serious. You can't condone evil. So, so, so do something about it. Why are you silent now? This is outrageous. You stand around and you watch. Are you really going to let this go on? Well, God, what are you gonna say? Are you gonna answer my question? I'm braced for the worst. I climb to the lookout tower and scan the horizon. I wait to see what God says and how he will answer my complaint. That's where we ended. It's pretty intense. <laughs> yes, he did say those things to God. <laughs> If it makes you uncomfortable, it, did, it does me as well. Now God is going to respond in the next few weeks. 
And we are going to look at his kind of unpackaging of what has commonly now been called the five woes. Woe are you. He's going to describe the type of oppression and injustice that is being committed. He's going to demonstrate that he sees it, that he knows it's there, and that he is not going to let it stand. Now, I don't want to steal glory from Chris, who is going to talk about those next week, but... For the sake of the message today, I want you to know what it is that God is criticizing, or not criticizing, God is laying before, if you will, the charge against the people of Judah and the modern uh, Babylonian and Assyrian kingdoms at the time. And they are like this. One and two of these charges, these woes, are, uh, have to do with unjust economic practices. So essentially, the rich are getting richer, the poorer are getting poorer. Number three has to do with slave labor, treating humans like animals. Four is about the abuses of those in power of substances, of sexuality, of promiscuity. And finally, number five is idolatry, um, which the Bible Project said is kind of the thing fueling all of the other woes, this idea that a nation or a piece of stone would earn or uh, deserve more respect, more honor than Yahweh himself. So, this is where we find ourselves. The prophet and God wrestling in prayer and answer. These are the things God is about to lay out before them. And now we dive into the man himself and what it means for you and I to be a people like the prophet. Now, what does that mean? We can talk about a prophetic people, but it has certain, certain connotations. And I might use that phrase, but I want us to think about it differently. What is the role of the prophet in, in the community of God? What does that look like in this place? Because here stands a man amidst a tidal wave of unrest. His people are forsaking faith. His God has disappointed him. He is in agony and pain. He is wrestling deeply with the state of the world. Some of you are going, I resonate with all of that. So what does he do? What does he do about it? What is the posture that he takes? What are his actions and attitudes? And what can we learn from the, from the way in which he processes his emotions? his community, his faith. And quite simply, I think there's so much there, but for the sake of this evening, I want us to look at two things and allow them to inform and transform us in two primary ways. The first is transform how we see, and the second is how we pray. How we see, how we pray. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Dana. I realize I didn't say that at the beginning, and I get very passionate, so I'm, I'm, I'm tempering that right now for you. Just super chill, calm. Don't laugh that hard, Sam. Thank you. Um, all right. How do we see? How does the prophet see? How does that inform us? Now, biblical prophets were characterized by this ability to see. They saw what was and what was not, right? They saw the true nature of things. They saw, in this case, as Habakkuk does, the perversions and the distortions within the people of God. Now, we know from the opening verses that the prophet sees his people very clearly. He recognizes the reality of Judah, that this, the chosen people, look nothing like their God. This is a kingdom that doesn't resemble their king. 
This is a kingdom that no longer embodies the rule of Yahweh. This is a people who have slowly and steadily adopted the lifestyle and practices of the nations around them. And the result is, verse 1 tells us, destruction, violence, strife, conflict. The law is paralyzed, and in that kind of profound moment, justice is dead. The kingdom of Judah is living, quite frankly, under the tyranny of its own vices. And the prophet sees it. He is not uh, immune to the culture and the deformation that has taken place in the people of God. And so friends, for you and I, to be a people like the prophet means we have to be able to see. We have to be able to discern. We have to be a people who can recognize sin. Not in a finger pointing out there, those people know here. Do we see the deformation that has taken place? Do we see the tides of culture, the lifestyle and the practices that are in opposition to the kingdom of Yahweh? We have to be a people who know how to see the ways in which rebellion can creep into our hearts and we can slowly slip to a posture where the kingdom looks nothing like the king himself. And to be a prophetic people, a people like the prophet, means we don't become inoculated to the place in which we live. I had a really hard conversation a couple years ago with a friend. Um, I didn't grow up in Orange County, and I'd lived here a couple years, and we, I don't even remember what it was about, but she essentially made a comment um, that was like, well, you're, you're just like them. And I went home afterwards, you're just like Orange County. I've lived here now almost a decade. I love Costa Mesa, I really do. But I remember going home and having this kind of deep moment of going, am I, (laughs) are there areas of my life where I've lost sight of the thing that Jesus has called me to be? And it is so easy. And it's not conscious, it's, it's not active rebellion, it's just a slow assimilation. God had called his people to something so much more. And a prophet not only sees what is, but sees that which God intended for his people. And the prophet stands calling them back to that reality. What had Israel been called to? Christian, if you want to throw up there, Genesis 12 From the very beginning, he says, God says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make you, uh, your name, great, and you will be a blessing. Exodus 19, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession out of all nations. I don't know if my translation is the same. And unto me, you shall be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a nation set apart. Lastly, if you throw Deuteronomy 4 up there. Now, Israel, hear the decrees and the laws I am about to teach you. I'm actually going to read it from here. Sorry, I realize I cut sections. That you may live and enter and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You must not add or subtract from what I am commanding you so that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God I am giving you. This is Deuteronomy 4. It continues into verse 6. Observe them carefully. Don't worry about it. Sorry, Christian. 
it's really Tyler's fault. So no, I'm just kidding. It's mine. It's mine. Hey, I'm just kidding. Reading the Lord of the Word. Please be quiet. Um, Deuteronomy 4, 6, he continues, observe them carefully for this will show your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the people who will hear of these statutes and say, surely this is a great nation. It is wise and its people are wise and understanding for what nation is great enough to have a God as near to them as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call on him. And what great nation has such righteous statutes and ordinance like the entire law I have presented to you today? Only be on your guard and diligently watch yourselves so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen and they do not slip from your hearts as long as you live. Teach them, he says, to your children and your grandchildren. This was the call of God. This was the nation that, that all of the world would be blessed, that they would stand in awe. I want us to see the stark dichotomy between the vision of God for his people, blessing to the nation, holy people, filled with priests, faithful to the covenant, filled with wisdom and understanding, and then the one described by God in Habakkuk, greedy, oppressive, enslaving, dehumanizing, gluttonous, promiscuous, and idolatrous. You see, the vision God always had for his people was beautiful and good, a unified, living kingdom from which God would bless the whole world. That's what the Ten Commandments laid out. That's what so much of the law, the books of Deuteronomy does. A kingdom whose economics were centered around the rhythms of Sabbath rest, not cycles of greed. We can't do enough work, so now we have to have slaves do it as well. No, no, no. The Lord worked six days and on the seventh he rested. A kingdom that set aside grain for the widow, for the poor. A kingdom whose relationships were free from abuse, adultery, murder, envy, jealousy. Imagine this, where foreigners were welcome, where the poor were fed, where parents were honored, where Yahweh was worshipped, heart, mind, body, soul. And to be a people like the prophet is to see that. This is what the Lord God intended. To see the call. Even when all you are encountering is the struggle, a prophet sees the future. He knows that which God intended and he is calling the people back to that. To draw people back to the divinity of God's covenantal intent. This book ends, as we will see in a few weeks, with this amazing and resounding belief that God is going to set it right. Despite all the chaos, despite all the unfaithfulness, Habakkuk believes that God is going to do it, that he is going to bring righteousness and mercy, and it will reign once again in the kingdom of Israel. And friends, a prophetic people hold in tension both the present brokenness and the covenantal restoration of God. Israel was never meant to look like Babylon. And in the same way, we are a royal priesthood. We 
are called to be a holy nation. We, the people of God, are called to be set apart. This was our design. We are the people of Judah, the kingdom of God, and never in arrogance or pride or isolation because God's vision for us is good and true and beautiful. It has not changed from Genesis 1. That which he set in place, that which he desired for mankind is still what he desires for us today because it was what we were made for. We weren't made for greed. We weren't made for envy. We weren't made for pain and suffering and slavery. So if the prophet was here today, what would he see? What would the prophetic look like on our behalf? What would he be wrestling with God for? Where would he be calling us to reform, to be transformed? What do we need to remember? What do we need to teach our children and our grandchildren to re-engage with? As I sat with the message this week, I thought, Lord, what aspects of my mind, what habits of my body, what, what misdirections of my soul need to be realigned with that which you intended for your people Give me eyes to see my own soul so that the kingdom of God can be made brighter and more beautiful in a cultural moment that desperately needs something of hope, something of truth. I want us to think about it right now, prophetic people. In our present cultural moment, do we see signs of assimilation or do we see signs of a holy people set apart? Do we look the same, speak the same, dress the same, spend our money, our time the same, handle our relationships and our bodies the same? I've been reading um, John Mark's new book, Live No Lies, and he says this. Jesus' vision of a flourishing life is often 180 degrees apart from the moral norms of our day. I think, he continues, of John Milton's famous line from Paradise Lost, evil, be thou my good. Or, as the prophet Isaiah said it, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. He goes on to describe the pain and agony of this, a society where lust is redefined as love. Marriage is not a covenant of lifelong fidelity, but a contract for personal fulfillment. Divorce, an act of courage and authenticity. The objectification of women's sexuality through pornography is female empowerment. Greed as, as responsibility to shareholders. Gross injustice towards factory workers in the developing world as globalism environmental degradation as progress, racism as a past issue, and the greatest inf infanticide or abortion as reproductive justice. This is the tide. And I'm not talking about a monastic life cloistered away. A prophetic life is a holy life, friends. My prayer, Jesus says in John 17, is not that you take them out of this world, 
but that you protect them in it from the evil one. He continues, for they are not of this world, even as I am not of it. So sanctify them by the truth, and your word is the truth. Prophets see the truth. They call for holiness, transformation, right understanding, purity of mind, and action, and so I could go on. To be a prophetic people, friends, is to seek the righteousness of God. Not in anger, not in pride, in on your knees begging humility, God, won't you make us like you intended us to be? I hope you hear my heart in this. We'll get back to some of this in just a moment, but I could keep going. Let's not, let's move on. To be a people like the prophet, one, how, change how we see. Secondly, transform how we pray. Habakkuk is pretty unique, is a pretty unique prophet in this regard. Uh, unlike many other prophets, they kind of took to the streets and, and charged the people of Israel. I kind of imagine them sort of shaking them like, we must change. This is a different sort of a prophet because the entire nature of this book is essentially a prayer, right? Habakkuk is having this conversation with God in prayer on behalf of the people. He is wrestling, lamenting, and crying out for God's merciful justice in Judah. And that moment that we read, he stands, watch, he's stationed on the wall, the last bastion, if you will, of belief. And he is petitioning on behalf of his people, asking God, won't you come again, but won't you do it? Chapter three begins in mercy. And to be a prophetic people is to be a people who know how to do the same. Are we comfortable on our knees in prayer and petition to seek God, not just on our behalf, but on behalf of those who can't right now or who won't right now or who aren't right now, to cry out for those who are far off, for those who have lost sight, for those who have been disappointed and hurt, to cry out for, for those of us who feel similarly to, to Habakkuk in those places. We don't have all the answers. He doesn't. The prophet doesn't. He's angry at God, he's frustrated at people, but he takes his wrestles and he wrestles in the presence of God. And that is just powerful. Friends, what this tiny little prophet book offers us is a liberatingly honest approach to our prayers with God. We don't understand, we can't always understand, but what the prophet tells us is that we can still pray. To be a people like the prophet means to be in the presence of God regardless or as just as how you feel. Does that make sense? Exactly how you feel. That's the phrase I'm looking for. If you are disappointed, chapter one, verse one says, cry out. How long, O Lord? If you feel like God is silent, Habakkuk 2 verse 1, stand and wait. I am waiting here, God, because I believe that you are going to speak. If you feel desperate for change, start asking and keep asking. Basically the whole book. <laughs> keep asking for your spouse. Keep asking for your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your best friend, your boyfriend, your neighbor. Keep asking, get on your knees in the presence of God and pray, pray, pray and trust 
that your good father will meet you there. Spoiler alert, after all of this shouting and wrestling and anger, Habakkuk ends like this. Chapter three, I'm gonna read it from yours, Christian. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the field produces no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. That's where he ends. In every season, in all things, a prophetic people know that God, that at the end of the day, God is our refuge and our strength and our ever-present help. He is actually the final hope, the safe place for us in brutal times where we can name things, where we can grieve, where we can hurt, where we can be discouraged, where we can be disoriented, where we can be discontented, and we can trust that he will set things right. That moment for me is, is that, that idea of faith where, where it says of Abraham, he saw the facts, but he believed God. That's what Habakkuk is doing. He's seeing the facts. The Babylonians are coming and they are coming in vengeance, but I will rejoice because my God will set it right. The message translation ends the book like this. I am counting on God's rule to prevail. So I take heart and I gain strength. I am counting on God's rule to prevail. Final thoughts for us. I wrestled with kind of where do we land and um, the, the prophets can be hard. <laughs> They're like, Oof can seem, gosh, judgmental or intense. And as I was processing and praying, I decided there's, <laughs> there's no better place to end than um, in Romans 8. I do believe God is calling us to be a prophetic people. Man, I wrestled with it this week. To be a people who are truly holy and set apart. Not just the few, but the body of Christ as a whole. That his entire kingdom, the inaugurated kingdom of God, would be a people who look like him. Who would be willing to repent from sin. Who would be willing to be a people who are petitioning for those who do not know yet who would be a people who know how to pray and seek. And what I love about where we stand today is that the joy, oh gosh, those of you who know me well know this is my favorite place, crying in front of people. Um, that, that that which he dreamed of, the prophet sought God after, would be so much more beautiful and profound than he could ever have hoped. 
that God's intent for mankind remained, that his call was the same, holiness, righteousness, faithfulness, but the means by which we would live into it would be vastly different. And I would be remiss in talking about a life of holiness if I did not point us back to Jesus. So let's read it together. I put this in myself, so there's no one to blame if it's not right. (laughs) This is most of Romans 8. You can read it with me. You can allow the words to wash over you. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is operating. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went to the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't just deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of a struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessing with measuring their own moral muscles but never get around to exercising it in real life. But those who trust in God's actions in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. All around us we observe a pregnant creation The difficult times of pain throughout the world are birth pains, but it is not only around us, it is within us. The Spirit of God is arousing within us and we feel the birth pains these sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance and that is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in our waiting We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait and the larger we become, the more joyful our expectancy. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired of waiting, God's spirit is right alongside, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in us and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition, and keeps us present before God. That is why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good last section. God knew what he was doing from the beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who loved him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restores. We see the original and the intended shape of our lives in him. 
After God made the decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. And after he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then, after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. That is what the prophet saw. That is what we have, friends, today. And there is brutal groaning in the middle, and it is hard, but the promise of God is so good. And to be a people like the prophet is to see the reality of this, the glorious completion that is at the hands of the Father. Can we do this? Let's close our eyes. There's nothing, if you're new to this, there's nothing holy or special. It just helps us sort of zone out the distractions. God, what do you want to say right now? I think there are those of us in the room who feel the frustration of the prophet, who have wrestled deeply, who are groaning. And I think God wants to say, let it out. I can carry it. Why, why does it look like this? Why does it have to be this way? Why do I feel the pain? Why won't you speak? Why am I so uncertain? Why do bodies fail? Why do relationships break? Why do families fall apart and the Father says, I see it. I think there are those of us who the Spirit is calling into righteousness. We know, we know the areas in our lives that our kind Father has his finger on. Lord, won't you help us see them? I'm going to ask the worship band to come up. Let's just take a moment. I think maybe you know, each of us sitting where we are, what God was speaking to you about. We're going to go into a time of worship. We're going to go into a time of communion. I'm going to ask a couple of our home group leaders to come up front. But before we do any of that, let's just take a moment, God. If we have struggled obsessing with our own moral muscle, as the message put it, Spirit of God, won't you show us that you are living and active and moving? Won't you show us that you are the author and perfecter of our lives and that what you started, you will finish in all glory and beauty.
want to encourage you, if you would like to stand, feel free to do so. If you would like to kneel, feel free to do so. Whatever posture you want to take in worship. And then as you feel comfortable or desire to, we invite you to take communion. Take it on your own. Take it with a friend. Take it with a family member. The symbol that we partake in is this reality that he stays with us to the end, gloriously completing what he begun. That's what the body and blood of Jesus means, that he did it when we could not. Joe, Shelly, Dan, Susie, Tahi. We've got our home group leaders up here, Sam, Caleb. If you would like prayer for anything, it doesn't have to be about the message. We believe in prayer. God gives it to us as a way of coming alongside each other. We want to invite you to come up for prayer. Maybe it's for a family member, physical ailment, whatever it is. Let's pray together. If you want to, we can stand and worship.